Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. You ask any 49ers fan or anyone covering this team what the doomsday worst-case scenario would have been, and they would probably would have said exactly what transpired in Kansas City in Week 3, and that was a season-ending injury to Jimmy Garoppolo. This is Al Sacco with Zane Nockley for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And listen, obviously just so much to react to as the 49ers now transition from Garoppolo to Beathard and a lot to look at in terms of where the offense and, and the team is headed and exactly what's going on with this, with this defense. But Zane, first and foremost, I want to know what, what went through your head when you saw Jimmy G go down? So much happened on that same play. Like I thought that he had taken a hit to his shoulder and like, oh man, he injured his shoulder. He won't be able to, you know, he concussion shoulder. And then, when they were looking at his knee and they brought the card out, like, cause we, when we follow along on Twitter, like TV coverage is crap when it comes to injuries and stuff, right? You never know. The best thing to do is follow along on Twitter with uh, either myself at Zane 49ers or at Al cycle 49 for Al. Um, we follow a lot of the, the beat writers and stuff and they were actually tweeting out what actually happened. And when they brought the card out and when Jimmy Garoppolo was heading to the tunnel and they thought he was visibly upset, I was like, man, that's it. Like I was literally watching the 49ers season vanish in front of my eyes because out of all of the irreplaceable players, arguably in this league, this is the one guy that meant the most to his team. I don't I can't think of another guy that means more to his team than Jimmy Garoppolo means to the 49ers, not only on the field, but from an, an emotional and leadership standpoint. I just uh, that this is the worst thing that could have happened to the 49ers this season. I don't care who else gets injured the rest of the season. The one guy that was was completely indisposable and you had to have on the field is gone. And all you had to do was go to Kansas City and get out of there healthy because nobody expected them to win that game, especially against Patrick Mahomes. We'll get we'll get into that in a little bit. But all you had to do was get out of there healthy, and they were not able to do that. They suffered suffered multiple big injuries in that game. And I'm just I, I was just beside myself. Like I'm still really, really, really reeling from this. And and uh, there's just really nothing else to say. I mean, I, I just can't believe that that happened. You know, it was weird for me. It was like a weird set of emotions. And, and listen, I, I've been known, you know, if you followed me over the years or whatever, you know, I'm pretty rational with, with how I go about things in the way I look at the team. And, and, you know, if you've been listening to the show the last three weeks, I've been a little irrational. I've been a little bit pissed off. And I almost went from like a lot of just anger to being completely rational and level-headed about 90 seconds. And I'll explain what I'm talking about. Like, I saw it happen, and I saw his knee buckle, and I was like, he's done. Uh, as soon as I saw him go down, I'm, I know people were saying, I, I was just like, he's done. I saw his knee. I, I was like, if, if that happens, I mean, minimum, he was going to be out for a couple months if he, if he did something, twisted it or whatever. But I'm like, it's probably an ACL, so maybe I was preparing myself for it. And my initial reaction... As a fan of the team, I mean, I, I have to look at these things kind of both ways. Yeah, I'm a fan of the team. I also have responsibility to cover this this team for, for the job that I have at the web zone. But my initial reaction as a fan is, you know what, man? It's been 15 years. In the last 15 years, this team has three winning seasons. They've had seven head coaches. They've had zero Pro Bowl quarterbacks in the last 15 years. Can we get one QB? 
are we paying for Montana and Young? <laughs> Can you not have that kind of run? Are the football gods like you, you guys had enough? Yeah. Is that what it was? And, and, and it was anger at first. And it was like, man, I thought the offense was kind of starting to click in the second half. And there's still issues. And we'll talk about that. But despite the issues, they're still putting up points. They still have the fourth highest scoring percentage in the NFL. They don't have the receivers, but Kittle was really coming along and Brita. And I, I liked where this offense was going. And then he goes down. So, so I'm pissed and there's anger. And then after really about 90 seconds, I just kind of sat there and was like, you know what? It's kind of like the Bill Parcells thing that he used to say, you are what you are. And I was like, you know what? It is what it is. This team is what it is. And yeah, it stinks. Jimmy's out and maybe they would have made the playoffs with him in there. I, I, I was of the belief that they were going to have a rough first half of the season, maybe even go like three and five, but then play really well in the second half, maybe go five and three, six and two to get to eight or nine wins. But we don't know if that's going to happen now, but I, I went almost immediately like, all right, you know what? going to roll with Bethard. Bethard's going to be the guy. Bethard's in the second year in the system. Shanahan liked him enough to take him in the third round. Let's see what he's got. And if he's got nothing, maybe you get a new backup QB for next year. If he shows something, then you got a couple things. One, you could trade him. <laughs> if, if, if a team goes, you know, if he plays great this year and a team goes out and offers you a high pick for him, great. If he shows something, then you know you do have insurance again if Garoppolo does go down next season. But Jimmy's going to come back. He's going to be back next year. And maybe if you're looking for a blessing in disguise, they'll get a lot of the young, the young guys on the field. Maybe you'll see a little bit more Dante Pettis than you will Pierre Garcon. Maybe some of these, yeah, for example, maybe some of these young guys will get on and get experience. We know Bethard's going to, and, and going into next year, it'll help the team, but it's certainly a punch in the gut for the fan base. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm sorry guys. I know everybody was looking forward to this season, but you know, they're not, they're, they're not dead and buried yet. Let's at least see what, what, what CJ can do first before we bury this team. You know what the worst part is for me, Al? I think the worst part is that an entire offseason, like this was probably the longest offseason that I can remember in a long time for good reasons because of the, the hype and all of the anticipation, all the improvements that they were supposed to make from the team from last year, seeing how Jimmy finished the year last year, 5-0. and Obviously, everybody knows about that. And adding more players, adding Richard Sherman, adding a, a what I think is a pretty good draft class for the most part, and another year in Kyle Shanahan's system. This was supposed to be the the grow up year for Jimmy. This was supposed to be the year where he was able to really grasp the offense to its fullest. And you really only saw like one half of football out of the six halves that they played this year when they looked like they looked last year. The second half against the Chiefs, that's how Jimmy looked last year. He was completing passes all over the place. He was spreading the ball around. There was good protection. Receivers were holding on to the ball. The defense was playing well. Like that second half of football before the injury is exactly what they look like when they were winning all those games last year at the end of the season. And what sucks the most is that we'll never know how much he would have progressed this season. Like with people forget that Jimmy's only started nine, 10 games. This is he's 26 years old. He's still a young quarterback. Just because he sat four years behind Tom Brady doesn't make him the seasoned veteran who's had a ton of experience and playoff experience. He's still pretty green and pretty raw. And he needed this year. He needed this year for development. He needed this year for repetitions. He needed this year to, to fix that internal clock inside of his head that tells him that he's holding on to the ball too long or that tells him that he should get out of bounds when, when, he shouldn't, uh, when, when he's going to take a big hit. He needed this year to be able to do that. He's not going to get that now. 
the the injury itself, let me make this clear out. The injury itself, it's a freak thing. Should Jimmy have gone out of bounds? Yes, absolutely. He should have gone out of bounds. You need to know your status on the team. You need to know that you are the franchise. And honestly, like this is one of those situations where we've seen quarterbacks bounce up from these hits tons of times. We've seen guys bounce up and run back to the huddle and everything is fine. If that happened, we're talking today about how much guts, how many how much guts Jimmy showed on the sideline there taking that hit. But it didn't happen like that. And honestly, I you if you ask me, I believe that he probably would have torn the ACL anyways at some other time. If it was going to go now, it was going to go at some other time. That's what I said with Jarek McKinnon. I say the same thing about Jimmy. So really the blessing for me in disguise is that A, it happened at the beginning of the season. So he's going to be back for training camp next year. He gets a full off season again to recover and to get better. B, he gets to rehab with Jarek McKinnon. They're going to be on pretty much the same rehab schedule because McKinnon tore his ACL three weeks ago. And C, you don't have that extra wear and tear of like an extra season on Jimmy's body. Like he's not going to have any bumps and bruises that he'll have to recover from in the, in the off season. But Al, it just sucks. Like it just sucked the entire wind out of the season. I know that there's 13 weeks left and, and CJ Beathard is out there and he, he has some experience, but for strictly from a fan perspective, it sucks. And there's no other way to say it. Every year, there's one or two teams that loses a franchise player Last year's Deshaun Watson. This year, it happened to be the 49ers to Jimmy Garoppolo. It happens. It happens. And Shanahan had a quote. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but something along the lines of he was looking forward to sort of going through ups and downs with Jimmy this year. And he knew Garoppolo was going to struggle at times. We said it on the show. Garoppolo was going to struggle at times. There was all this hype. But as you said, he he's only had a handful of starts. He's still a young quarterback. He's still learning Shanahan's system. I mean, look, it took Matt Ryan all season to really be comfortable in Shanahan's system. It takes time. So it was going to be ups and downs this year, and you were seeing it early in the season. He looked tentative at times. He looked like he was pressing at times. He was overthrowing. He was underthrowing. He was holding onto the ball too long. But as you said, in the second half, things started to look a little bit better against the Chiefs. They really did. So it's unfortunate that it, that it went down the way that it did. But the best way that I can look at this, and is there anything in life, Got to move on, man. He the, he's not coming back. And other teams have been through this. Luck missed all of last season. Peyton Manning missed a whole season. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady missed a whole season. You, you mentioned Watson. At this point, at the team, they cannot feel sorry for themselves. They cannot hang their heads and say, "Oh, well, you know, we're going to go three and thirteen now without Jimmy." Got to rally around CJ. That's that's what you have to do. CJ Beathard is your starting quarterback, and he's the person that you need to rally behind and hope that he can progress. He had some starts last year. Like I, I said previously, Shanahan had faith in him to take him in the third round. So they like him. Let's see what he can do. Let's see what kind of player he can be before we put a knife in the Niners. It's interesting that Tom Brady also tore his ACL against the chiefs. That was 11 years ago. I remember that. Oh it was yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. First game of the season. Yeah. Then and it was Bernard Pollard, the, the Tom Brady role. That's why you can't hit a quarterback below the knee now. So the encouraging thing about ACLs is that now the way that technology and medical science has come, it's not like a career ending injury. And it's one of those that Jimmy's not like, he's not like a mobile quarterback. He's a, he's a pocket quarterback. So it may or may not affect his mobility when he tries to leave the pocket. But honestly speaking, it's not like we're talking about a guy who scrambles all the time. So I don't think it's going to be a huge effect on him. And, and Kyle Shanahan indicated as much. And Jimmy has said as much in the few words they said to the team that he'll be back and he'll be fine. And I, and I think he'll be better than ever because he's going to learn from this experience. And 
I, I really want to focus on the fact that he was pressing. You mentioned that before, and you that's a really good point because he was pressing. And in this game, he was pressing. That's why he took the hit because he wanted to make a play to gain six inches. In the end, he's going to learn now that it's not worth getting the extra six inches when you're putting yourself at risk, when you mean so much to the team. Now, the reason why he needed to press or why he felt he, he needed to press, that's debatable. Me, personally, here's, here's what I believe, Al. I think that the 49ers are in the middle of a rebuild. We know this. This is, this is very, very apparent that they're not one or two players away. And I think the first three games of the season kind of tell us that specifically on the defensive side of the ball, they need a lot more help. But even the receivers, they're, they're not getting open. We have statistics for you guys later on, and I know, Al, you've got a lot of good statistics about this, and the receivers just aren't getting open, and he just doesn't have enough around him yet. And I don't expect him to because, again, it's year two of the rebuild. But I think that, and I tweeted this out, that the team seemed to have settled into the, you know what, we have Jimmy, so it's going to be okay, the- theology or, or mindset, because they felt like they have a good quarterback so they can compete with just a good quarterback and surrounding himself with, with some, some decent players, but no other real star players. And I think that that may have had an effect on Jimmy. Maybe that made him press a little bit more. Maybe that made him realize that, Hey, I have to carry this entire team's weight on my shoulders. So I need to make every play. I need to make every throw. I have to run guys over instead of stepping out of bounds. Like you can't have that in the NFL these days. Like you're only as good as your starting quarterback. You're only going to go as far as your starting quarterback takes you. You have to be smart. And I think that this is probably an eye-opener to John Lynch as well. Like You have to surround him with players. Al, if guys were getting open in the end zone, Jimmy doesn't take those two sacks before that play. If, mm-hmm. guy, if, if he had a big red zone threat to throw to, he's not having to run out of the pocket and run around and do anything. He's, he's, throwing the ball, he's either throwing the ball up for grabs, throwing it away, or, or checking down. So... I'm not saying that it's the front office's fault that Jimmy got hurt. That's ridiculous. Like, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that he's going to press less if he has more talent around him. Why are the Rams so good? Jared Goff was a train wreck coming out of Cal. When he came into the league under Jeff Fisher, people were talking about how bad Jared Goff was. And, oh my God, he's a bust. Carson Wentz is way better. Enter Sean McVay. What does he do? He finds a way to, to utilize the pieces around Jared Goff and minimize the, the burden that Jared Goff has to carry. And what's happened now? He's grown leaps and bounds. The 49ers need to follow that. You can't expect a young quarterback to carry a mediocre roster all the way. And again, like I'm not blaming them for this injury. This is Jimmy's fault for not going out of bounds. It's a freak injury. But I'm saying that when he comes back, they need to surround him with more pieces. No, I agree with that. That has to be an emphasis this offseason. Their two best players in offense right now are Kittle and, and Brita, for sure. And so you're talking about a tight end and a running back. And Goodwin has his first game back, three catches, 30 yards, and a touchdown. He's still working his way back, but we've seen nothing out of those other receivers. And, and like you mentioned, I, I had some stats. The Niners are the only team in the NFL without a receiver with 100 yards. Not 100 yards in a game, without 100 yards this season. Jeez. They don't have a wide receiver with 100 yards, with 100 receiving yards through three games. That's insane. That's mm-hmm. awful. In this mm-hmm. league, nowadays absolutely terrible and especially when you consider they've been by they were behind two of the first three weeks and they had to throw to not be able to get a guy over 100 yards. i mean are you kidding me mm-hmm. are you kidding me that should show you right there what you what, what you have in, in terms of that but we've look we've talked about the lack of weapons here for i, I don't want to keep harping on the point harping on the point we've talked about it for the first three weeks as well 
they don't have receivers. They need them. Pierre Garcon looks done to me. The guy looks done. Mm. Can't get separation. Hasn't made plays. I, I know Jimmy overthrew him in this game. He, he could have had a big gainer, but they needed somebody like Garcon to come in and step up, and it hasn't happened. So we'll see what happens the rest of the year. And you make a good point that if these guys were relying on Jimmy too much, well, now people got to step up. They got to step up for CJ. And look, I, I, I want to talk about CJ on the show because he's the guy, man. For the next 13 games of the season, hopefully he can stay healthy. He is the guy. In my whole opinion, when you know when Grappolo gets hurt, people are saying, well, who do the Niners bring in? I'm thinking to myself, who do they bring in? They're bringing anybody in. Nobody. Who are you going to bring in week four? C.J. Mm-hmm. Beathard is your starting quarterback. And if C.J. Beathard is the long-term answer for your backup or somebody that you want in this team, you want to see him develop for the next 13 weeks. You want to put him on the field and see what he can do. And the notion to me of bringing in somebody like, oh, they're like, well, call Cutler, call Kaepernick. Why? Is he win six games? What the, what's the point of that? Trade for Tyrod Taylor. Okay, good. You're going to go six and ten? You're going to get it. What's you can go six and ten with CJ? Or if you go with three and 13 with CJ, at least you get a better draft pick. Why would you bring in a guy like that to be just a little bit not quite as bad? Doesn't make any sense to me. And then you're looking at these quarterbacks that, that they're working out, Tom Savage and Landry Jones and whoever else. And people are like, oh, I, I can't believe these are the guys they're working out. They're working out backups. They're working out guys who are going to at best be a backup to CJ Bathard. They may even be a third stringer. They're not bringing in anybody. So, Cut this whole, like, what are the Niners doing? I don't understand why they're working out these guys. They're just working out a vet to bring in in the case of an absolute emergency and CJ goes down. Listen, if you're down to your third or fourth string quarterback, you got, you're not doing anything anyway. <laughs> what does it matter if you're playing with your third or fourth string quarterback? You're not winning anything. CJ is the guy. Let's see what he can do. Let's put him behind center. He had some moments last year. I mean, for the most part, he struggled and he held on to the ball, but he was a third round rookie draft pick. We don't know. We don't know what he is. Nobody knows what he is. Like you just said, Jared Goff was awful his first season. And I'm not comparing Beathard to Goff. I don't think Beathard's as good as Goff. He certainly doesn't have the weapons around him that Goff has. But let's see what he can do in year two before we say, ah, CJ's garbage. Ah, let's let's play for Bosa. Let's see what happens on the field. And I don't think they're going to go into to Los Angeles and Chargers and win this week. But maybe they, they come out and have a good game against Arizona the following week and, and they can take that game. Let's see what he can do. Is Arizona the next game or Green Bay? Whoever this play, but let's see what he can do. Is it Arizona after that? Okay. Let's see what he could actually do on the field before we bury him. And and I'm excited to see what Bathard can do. Is it ideal? No. But let's get him on the field, see what he can do with some of these guys around him and, and see what the Niners can be. And let's see what kind of team this is. Let's see how much resolve they have because this this is rock bottom. This is worst case scenario. You lost your starting quarterback, your franchise, like you said, the guy that they built everything around, the guy that they expected to carry them in 10 wins. He's gone. Let's see what happens. They're really going to get an idea of what this roster is like now, with the the real progress that they made in two years. And John Lynch has done a really, really good job. I want to make this clear that John Lynch has done a really, really good job of clearing out all of the bulky busts. Well, most of them. There's still a couple still there but clearing out all of the Trent Balky picks that weren't producing and bringing in his own guys and guys that will fit within Kyle Shanahan's system and making the team not, not they're, not, they're not necessarily a championship roster, but they're not a bottom of the league roster anymore. They're kind of middle of the road now and they're closer to competing than they were when they were, when they had Trent Balky running the show. So all credit goes to John Lynch, Adam Peters, Martin Mayhew, Kyle Shanahan, also with his in- input to get that up and running. 
Now there are certain issues, like you said, with the receivers that they have, there's no receiver right now as of the recording of the show after the, the chiefs game that has more than seven catches on the season. Now, Allen Robinson, who both Allen and I wanted has 17 catches on the season, three games. So they need to get better there. Richard Matthews, by the way, was released uh, recently by the, by the Titans. So, or he's asking for a release and he will get released. He's maybe an intriguing guy for the 49ers to pick up. He's 29 years old. He had 900 plus yards um, two years ago. And he just doesn't really have a role of 700 yards last year, 795 yards last year. He doesn't have a role with Tennessee, maybe a guy that maybe the 49ers want to bring in. I don't know. But as far as CJ goes, look, he's not going to do the same things that Jimmy does. He is, he's got a different skill set. He's more raw. He doesn't have as much pocket presence. He takes a lot of hits. These are things that we know about him, right? These are things that we've seen. We saw CJ go one and four with the same roster that Jimmy went five and zero with last year. So they're not the same quarterback. We know this. I've heard comparisons of, uh, it's funny what you hear on, on the radio, Al, on, on Sports Talk Radio, and you hear 49ers fans calling in, and obviously they're frustrated like we are, and they'll compare Jimmy and CJ, and they'll say, well, Jimmy wasn't worth all that money, and he wasn't playing that well, and, and CJ can probably do the same thing. You're not going to get the same thing out of CJ as you did out of Jimmy. You're not going to. And that's not a knock against CJ. That's, that's how, how highly I think of Jimmy. If Ask me, or ask anybody, any team in the league, what the toughest three-game stretch to open the season was. I can guarantee you there will not be very many teams that have a tougher three-game stretch than the Niners just went through. Where you went to Minnesota, who's a, a Super Bowl contender, went to the NFC Championship game last year, their home opener. You play a Detroit team who just beat Tom Brady. And last week, you go to Kansas City in their home opener and arguably the best offense in the league and a historic performance so far by their quarterback. So, I mean, I don't know very many quarterbacks that are going to win in those situations, especially with the, a rebuilding roster like the 49ers have. So as far as Jimmy's worth and how much he's worth, we're going to find out over the next 13 games. Moving on to CJ and what he can do, I, I, the fact that he came in right away after the injury and he threw what should have been a touchdown and out, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on the officiating, and we're going to get to that later. But the, the touchdown that he threw, and it was a touchdown, and the corner of the end zone, that was an absolute dime. And I haven't seen CJ make that throw like ever. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he was able to make that throw, stand in there and throw a touchdown, what should have been a touchdown in a hostile environment in a game that's really close coming off. Encouraging. It is. Encouraging. It is. He's, he came cold off the bench and he, he put a dime onto his tight end. And there's not many guys that can come in the league and do that. Maybe, you know, maybe we have something here with CJ. I do want to say, I, I want to, um, Bring up a positive and, and just somebody who, who might be my favorite 49er right now, and that's Matt Breida. Oh, yeah. I just, I think the world of the guy, and I look at what he's doing in this offense, and the line's doing a great job too. Breida is tied for the NFL lead in rushing yards at 274. Impressive. Yet he's 27th in the league in carries with 32. Mm-hmm. He's averaging 8.6 yards a carry. That's insane. He already has six runs of over 20 yards in three games. He's been outstanding. Mm-hmm. outstanding he sealed the deal he sealed the win in the detroit game with that long 66 yard touchdown run he had some big runs in this game to get them back in the game against kansas city he's been absolutely outstanding and i know we were all holding our breath when he went down because it looked like his knee went too yeah but it looks like it's hyper extended i know as of today as we're recording this which is wednesday he didn't practice hopefully he'll be able to play this week and if he doesn't it's a short-term thing because he's just been sensational in the running game second in the NFL 
in yards per carry is going to be what helps C.J. Beathard. C.J. Beathard didn't have this running game last year. He's got it this year, and the Niners can rely on that, maybe even a little bit more than they have been for, through the first three games, to sort of balance things out for Beathard and help, help this offense. Look, the offense has been okay. Has it been clicking? Nope. But it's been good enough. They scored 30 points last week. They scored 27 this week. And they're actually, I mentioned earlier, they're fourth in the NFL in scoring percentage at 45%, okay? Now, they've been in the, they've, um, they've had 33 drives and they scored 15 times. Now, seven of those are touchdowns, eight of those are field goals. So they do have to get in the end zone more. But again, they're not clicking. And to still be able to put up those numbers, it's really, really impressive. And they've also been in the red zone 12 times. And there's only six teams in the league who have been there 12 times. Niners are one of them. The issue is that they've only scored five times, which is 41.7%. Every other team in that top six has a 60% or higher scoring rate in the red zone. And I think the Ravens are like 100%. They're 12-12 or something like something ridiculous like that. But the Niners are getting there, and they're getting close. They just haven't been able to get in there. Now, you could say, well, they're good in between the 20s because they have a good quarterback, so they're able to run the ball and the scheme and things like that. And then when they get in the red zone, they don't have a playmaker. Okay, that could be fair. They don't really have that red zone guy, but this offense is moving the ball. So let's see what they can do again with this running game. And if they can rely on it a little more, I'm not saying they're going to be the chiefs. I'm not saying they're going to put up 35 points a game, but I, I don't think it's going to be the, the 2015, 2016 49ers either where, where they're scoring 16, 17 points. I feel like they're going to be a little bit better than we're expecting. I, I don't know how good they're going to be, but let's see if the offense can be a little bit better. The question is to me, can this defense hold hold up their end of the bargain? I think I'm ready to actually analyze the game. I've, I'm I'm done my my Jimmy G sorrow. I'm uh, I vented. I had my therapy session with uh, you and all of our listeners. Al, I think I'm I think I'm good. I think I'm ready to to talk about the rest of the season. Um, I Matt Breida, like he has been a godsend. I think that nobody really expected him to be this good this early, but he has been leaps and bounds better than last year. And he was good last year. He averaged over four yards a carry. He averaged, I believe it was like six or seven yards a touch with catching the football as well. He was explosive. And he did have a little bit, little bit of trouble hanging on the football last year, but that seems to be not the case this year. And he's one of our, our guys, uh, our friend, um, you know, Matt Allman, the, the agent, we, we know him personally. He's, he's a great guy. And he's been telling us not to sleep on Matt Breida. And this is exactly what we're seeing, right? We've been hearing this stuff for since last year from from Matt, and and I think that now everybody's kind of getting to see the full skill set of what the 49ers saw, and the fact that they were able to acquire him. Like I said, John Lynch has done a lot of good things, and one of them is finding Matt Breida, and one of them is is being able to have him be a part of this offense and a part of this team. Matt Breida leads the league in twenty plus yards runs. Nobody, nobody, I believe he has six right now. Nobody has more than three after that. So. Right now, he's a perfect fit for the scheme. We'll see what happens when defenses, no doubt, will stack. They'll start stacking the box and daring them to to throw with CJ. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. And if CJ starts beating those one on one matchups that, that they'll have on the outside, we'll we'll see. Maybe they can have something going. But right now, the offensive line is definitely not a problem, and that's something that was going into the season. It was we thought it was going to be weakness. And Matt Breida is making everybody look like a genius right now because he's so dynamic. He he can catch the ball. He can he he runs with it out of the backfield. Uh, the the drive that that Jimmy got injured. I don't I don't know if you remember that the 
the I believe three plays before that where it was a pitch to use check or handoff to use check, and he did like a little like college the option play to to Breda, and he took it around the ed and almost ended up scoring. I mean, there's things like that that you can do with him that he's he's really dynamic. And personally, like he's one of the guys that I'm I'm really excited about watching the rest of the season because one of the few players that has that explosiveness on this offense and he can hit the home run. So Matt Breda, like I I'm all about Matt Breda. He needs more touches. He's not getting enough carries. And I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing because they're trying to ease him into like the starting sort of role. And I think Alfred Morris is going to have to take a step back. Alfred Morris has been okay. He's averaging less than four yards of carry. He's been a good short yardage back and the, the run works at times. I think is a good compliment, but I think that you're going to see more and more Matt Breida taking over that starting running back role and just becoming his running back field. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned how good Breida has been and a large part of that is because the offensive line has been so good. And I think back to what I said multiple times this offseason, I was so worried about the offensive line with the rookie right tackle. And what are we going to do with guard? And the guard has been person's been hurt and Garnett's been hurt. And, and there's, they've still played really, really well. And I said, all oh, these receivers, they don't really have a go-to guy, but as a unit, they could be scary. Man, was I wrong on both of those, excuse me, position groups. Excuse me. Holy cow. The receivers haven't performed and the offensive line has been, has been really good. So let's just hope the offensive line can, can continue doing that because if, if they give better time and continue that running game going, like I said, it, it, it could be better than we think, but Zane, that defense, man, 43, 43 missed tackles through the first three games. Terrible. It's almost comical at this point how bad the tackling has been. And we, we knew the pass rush was going to be a problem, and it has been. But these guys cannot bring a ball carrier down. And there were even some plays with the Chiefs where they were there. And they, they and I know I know the Chiefs have fast players, but but the Niners were there and they they just they took a bad angle. They didn't rap. It's like they they, they forgot how to tackle. It's it's unbelievable. The Sammy Watkins touchdown, there were four missed tackles on that play. Four. I couldn't believe it. Like it, there were between and I love those of you who have listened to us for for the last year or so, you know that we love Ruben Foster. He is my favorite player on the 49ers defense by far. Like I love watching him play. But between Ruben Foster and Fred Warner, they missed 10 tackles. 10. They were brutal. Brutal. I know it was Ruben Foster's first game back, but it's like you have to eventually take your foot off the gas. You have to break down and and wrap up. You can't just go 100 miles an hour all the time. There's something to be said about having proper technique. Like these guys, they miss a ton of tackles. There were 17 missed tackles on Sunday, Al. 17. Yeah, that's so bad. That's such a so high bad. number for an NFL team. They, this team, like they defensively, fundamentally, they are so poor right now. And you and I were texting this, texting back and forth. They are so poorly coached on defense. And I know that you said that you think that Robert Sala is coaching for his job. If they continue like this, I really, I really agree with you. The all, the all gas, no breaks. Oh, we're going to be a violent defense. All the things that we heard from Robert Sala this offseason and the previous offseason, it's working against them. They're way too aggressive. They don't, they don't take proper angles. They jump off sides. They take dumb penalties. They don't turn around and, and look for the ball when they're covering. Like They're just fundamentally really bad. They have routine breakdowns in coverage. Like I just don't know what to do. Like Part of me is like, okay, they need more talent. They do across the board, and we know that. The other part of me is like, they're just really poorly coached. 
Uh, one one example of this is at the beginning of the game, the, the Chiefs' first drive of the game, I believe it was, they got the ball, and it was kind of a short field because Pinion kicked the ball out of bounds. And by the way, I thought it was a great idea to just keep kicking the ball out of bounds against Tyree Kill. Don't even let him get the ball. So I thought they did a great job of that. But one of the, the first drive of the game, I believe, started at the 40-yard line, the Chiefs' 40-yard line. They ended up driving into 49ers territory and got pushed back a little bit. I believe it was a third and 12 or third and 15. And the 49ers, Robert Sala, for some inexplicable reason, sends Kwan Williams on a, on a slot blitz, a slot corner blitz. And of course, Patrick Mahomes beats it for the first down. Like I, I was, I was beside myself at that point. I'm like, why are you sending the blitz on third and 12? Sit back at the sticks. You know, this is probably going to be a field goal try. Who cares if it's a 43 yard field goal try versus a 48 yard field goal try? It doesn't matter. All you're doing is you want to hold them to a field goal and that's it. You're not going to win the game if you're just if you're just being aggressive and daring them to beat you because their receivers are better than the 49ers corners aside from whoever whoever's going against Sherman. And that mismanagement is just to me representative of a larger problem that the 49ers have with with the way that this defense is coached. Like the the situational awareness is not there and the the attention to detail is not there. And I love Robert Saul. I I really like him as a coordinator. I love this defense that they run. I really like the fact that they're trying to mimic Seattle's defense. But if they're not fundamentally sound, they won't be able to do it. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and I, I know that the Niners didn't really have a lot of options when they hired Salah. I mean, they brought him in, I think, to be the linebacker coach, and he ends up he ends up being the defensive coordinator. But really, what they needed was something similar to what the Rams did, where you have the rookie offensive head coach, and they brought in a Wade Phillips, a veteran defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. to kind of help right the ship and and you know be conciliary to. McVeigh, as I'm sure Phillips is in a lot of ways, but they didn't do that. And they have a young coaching staff and man, does it show because they are undisciplined. They are sloppy and it's not just the defense. The offense has, has made their share of penalties and bonehead plays too. But this defense, the pass interference call on Quan Williams, which was not a good call. I didn't think the ball was catchable and it gave the chiefs the ball in the one yard line, but that was what a third and 17 Yep. And the Niners are basically sitting back in a prevent and Williams still let a guy get behind him. Mm-hmm. He still let a guy get behind him. So yeah, while the penalty was, you know, not a good call, still what what is he doing on that play? And there was there was a sequence, I believe it was when the Niners were down twenty one to seven, where Mahomes scrambled and Foster Mahomes was clearly sliding and Foster jumps on him, throws his shoulder into him, roughing yeah. the passer. The next play they have twelve men on the field. Mm-hmm. The play after that, they jump off sides. This is play after play after play. Mm-hmm. This is what they looked like through the whole game. And when they weren't jumping off sides, which seemed constant, Mahomes had them guessing all game. When that wasn't happening, they were just, they got shredded. They got absolutely shredded. And I saw a few people make the argument, well, they played really well in the second half. Well, actually, to start the second half, it was a third and three for the Chiefs at right around midfield, and their tight end dropped the ball. It would have been a first down in them some. I think he was it would have still been running. So the Chiefs gave him a break there. And I have a hard time with anytime a team's up 35 to 10 or whatever it is going in the second half. I know you could say, well, the Niners are making a run, and they certainly will. And you could say the Chiefs were still getting after it. But there's just a mental thing when you're up by that much that mm-hmm. kind of the team's going to kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit. They may relax a little bit. To me, the Niners played so bad. So bad at the end of this, in the second half of the Detroit game. 
and they were just awful to me in this game. And I know the Chiefs could be an offense like we haven't seen in a while. They have 99 Rams kind of written all over them. But still, it was the missed tackles. It was the penalties. This defense just looks awful. And, and like we, we said, there's, there's going to be a lot of people the rest of the season coaching and playing for their jobs because Jimmy's not there anymore. So now the microscope's going to be on everybody. And people are going to stick out even more than usual. In a, yeah, I, I do think Salah's on the hot seat for sure. If the Niners defense doesn't take a significant step forward, because there's a lot of talent here. There is a lot. There is talent on the defense. Fred Warner is talented. And Ruben Foster is talented. Those guys shouldn't be missing 10 tackles or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. DeForest Buckner is talented. Even, you know what? You got a number three overall pick in Solomon Thomas. You better figure out how to make, how to make this work. Because if not, that's a, that's, that's a big black eye on not only Lynch, but on, but on Salah as well. You better figure out how to get the best out of this guy. No tackles. The number three overall pick. It's not, his, it's not Thomas's fault. Thomas was is Thomas anything different than we thought he would be coming into the league? No. Is he anything different, Zane? No, not at all. This, this is not on him. This is on the Niners either not knowing what they're doing when they're picking him or, or, or not putting him in a position to succeed. I, I'm so, I'm sorry. Solomon Thomas is exactly what we thought he would be coming out of college. Yeah. He has so, two, he has two tackles on the season. Yeah, it's been and I two. liked him in the pre I thought he looked good in the preseason. I mm-hmm. really did. And it has not carried over. Is not carried over at all. And Eric Armstead is not an edge rusher. They have nobody. They have no speed off the edge. None. None. And I know we're just beating at that horse with this, but oh, oh man, is it frustrating. And what the hell happened to the safeties? I know they're both hurt right now, but these guys were all over the field last year. Mm-hmm. They can't tackle. They can't make plays. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah, it's, it's shocking. It's very, very shocking, and I didn't expect this much of a drop-off from from the defense. They looked like they were getting better towards the end of the season. They looked like they were coming together. Adrian Colbert looked like he was going to be a star at the end of the season. That Rams game, he was flying all, all over the field. We didn't really get to see much of Tark as he broke his, he broke his arm early in the season, but we're like, man, once Tark comes back, they're going to make a great tandem together because they'll, they'll be able to play the role of Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas, respectively. Tart can't stay on the field. Like I don't think he's he's never played a, a full sixteen game season, has he? So I don't believe so. I don't believe so. It's like at, at some point you have to get guys that the best availability. The best ability for a player, Al, is availability. You have to be able to play to to make plays, right? So I think that when it comes to the defense, that yeah, like there is talent on the defense. There are a lot of talented guys. Ruben Foster is immensely talented. Fred Warner is, is a really, really good piece to have. I'm really excited about him. DeForest Buckner is arguably one of the best defensive linemen in the league. But the thing is, is that when you're poorly coached, they don't put you in the position to succeed, just like you said. And I'm glad you brought up the Solomon Thomas thing because you can't help where you're picked, right? You, this, is, this is up to the team where you're picked. It's not his fault that he was picked number three overall. But if you're a number three overall pick, I'm expecting you're at least, at least a significant contributor. He's on the field for half the snaps in the game. I, I just really don't think that they thought that through in terms of where they would put him. And this is not like a situation where it was a previous defensive coordinator last year and they and they inherited the, the guy inherited Solomon Thomas from a previous regime. No, it's, it's the same defense that you ran last year. And I just really think that they're going to have to start shuffling some things around. Now, now Sherman is out for two, three weeks now with the calf strain. So you're going to have to find guys that can play corner. They don't have a corner that's NFL ready on this roster. Akella Witherspoon looked like he was going to be great last year. 
he was playing really well. He, especially against Jacksonville, he had the interception and he was looking really good. I don't know what happened to him in the offseason. I don't know if he has some sort he's of lingering. Bang, injury. He's banged up, Stan. He's banged up. So he's got the he's got the he's got the ankle, right? Yeah. But the, yeah. But the issue, the problem, Al, is that they don't have any depth behind him. Yeah. So the the last two years when they were supposed to be getting depth and signing guys that could play in the NFL and building this roster, that's when you should have had guys that can come in and and spot start for your starters when they're hurt. Like Akilah Witherspoon's been hurt since the the Lions game. This poor guy, they're making him run out there again against Tyreek Hill when you had a bum ankle. Like this is these are things that they need to address this offseason. Like you have to take a step up with your roster. You have to take a step up in your drafting. They've been really good so far in terms of getting the old stuff out and making the roster more competitive in general. But that in order to become a competitor, you need to fill these holes. And if you want to talk about depth, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. If you want to talk about depth, look at Minnesota last year, look at Philadelphia last year, both lost their starting quarterbacks. They were good enough to make it to the championship game. That's depth. It's not just like, Oh, well our quarterback's done. So our season's done. No, like they, they were good enough in their off seasons to be able to piece together enough talent to be able to survive without their quarterbacks. That's where the 49ers need to be. Not, and, and I realize that they're still on their way, but things like this don't happen when you have depth. And I think that the, the, all this whole scenario is going to be a really, really good learning exercise for everybody because now you don't have a, a franchise quarterback to mask your deficiencies, right? Do, do we even pay attention to the fact that 49ers gave up 38 points if they scored 40? Probably not. It's still a win, right? But the defense right now is kind of, they, they don't really have the offense to lean on because now you're, you're limited and you'll probably see them go through more growing pains. Now, I want to see guys like DJ Reed play. At one point, Al, you had in the secondary, you had um, DJ Reed at safety and then you had Tavarius Moore uh, at the other safety and you had Witherspoon and Ward at the corners. And that's, I guarantee you, that's not the, the defense that they thought of, right? So it's not entirely their fault that guys are getting hurt. But at the same time, like you have to have that depth where you can bring guys in off the bench if somebody's not doing well. And I really think that like, Jimmy Ward, this is definitely his last year. He's $9 million insurance policy pretty much that they just kept on because he's under contract. They can find somebody in the draft better than that. So it's going to get better. And I'm, in, I'm encouraged by the fact that they have Sherman there. And, and did you see the play that he made on Tyreek Hill in the end zone? Oh, it was unbelievable. Well, he's great. I mean, he's a great player. Yeah. You know, Sherman, Sherman's a Hall of Famer uh, when, when he's on the field. Fantastic. Just an amazing play. That's why you brought Richard Sherman here. And and he did get beat by about a yard. And he caught up and he was able to use his length and knock that ball away. Like textbook. When I saw that, I was like, that's why you brought Richard Sherman here. Fantastic play. The other corners, I mean, they, they're all young, right? So hopefully they'll learn. But right now, Al, like, like you said, there's tons of holes on this defense and, and they got to fill them. Like you have 13 games to find out who's going to stay, who's going to go. And there'll be a lot of guys that are out of jobs if they don't, if they don't pick their game up. And they need to bring in blue chip type players next offseason. You, you mentioned Jimmy Ward's contract is going to be gone. Pierre Garcon's contract is probably going to be gone. And a lot of cap money. You're going to have a lot of cap money. You need to bring in blue chip players. Mm-hmm. You have to. And I'm not even sure. I'd have to look and see who's even possibly going to be available. You never know. And that was kind of the thing, too. We talked about this last week on the show. But when an Allen Robinson comes available or a Cleo Mack or anybody like that, you kind of have to go for it because you don't know if guys like that are going to be available in the coming years because they can get franchised and because they can sign a long-term deal. It's why when guys like that are available, you kind of got to jump into it. But we went through that and and we'll see what the Niners do. I also want to see this team just cut the penalties. There were so many penalties. And I know some of them, the penalty on use check was awful. 
mm-hmm. awful. It was not offensive pass interference. It was a terrible call. How many times do we have to see this in the NFL? These officials just week after week, game after game, and we know the whole thing with the, you know, you, you mentioned the Tom Brady rule earlier. We can call the fact that you said Tom Brady rule, you can't hit the quarterbacks below the knee, right? Yeah. Well, the Aaron Rodgers rule is you can't tackle the quarterback, essentially, <laughs> because now you just can't hit these quarterbacks anymore. And, and what I think, I know I'm kind of jumping around here. I'll get back to my point in the Niners in a second, but the NFL has to do with this rule. Don't take the rule out. You're not going to take the rule out. Fine. Take the rule out, the part of the rule about the body weight. I understand you cannot drive a quarterback into the ground. And if you if it's dirty hit in the, in the hit, the hit that Anthony Barr made on Aaron Rodgers in these penalties that Clay Matthews has been has been flagged for, night and day. Barr tried to hurt Rodgers. Clay Matthews is making a football play. Yeah. Got to end. It's got to end. And I'm glad people are speaking out about it. And people are pissed and players are pissed. And, and Mike Pereira said something about it. Troy Aikman said something about it. People are speaking out. So I, you would think the NFL would have common sense and, and curve this. That's one particular rule. How are they going to fix the rest of this officiating? Week after week, just awful, awful calls. And look, the Niners didn't deserve to win this game. Mm-mm. So I'm not going to go crazy on the Quan Williams call. I'm not going to go crazy about this, this USEC. The use use check call, but it's another just terrible, terrible call. And the NFL's got to do something about it. As far as the Niners, they didn't deserve to win the game, and those were the only two penalties they had. What did they have? Twelve? How many penalties did they have in this game? Twelve, thirteen, something ridiculous. They were over so, There were over a hundred yards of penalties in the first half. In the first half, yeah. first half. I'd have to look up what the exact number was, but it, it was atrocious. And again, it's jumping off sides. And, and there were times when Mahomes had him jumping off, and, and, and you know they got back. They were completely undisciplined. It's the same thing on offense, just taking themselves out of drives, whether it's a chop block or a couple or whatever it was, completely undisciplined. And eventually this falls on Shanahan. I love what Shanahan is as a play caller. As a head coach, he's got a long way to go. He's got a long way to go because this team did not look ready to play. Actually, I don't really know if they really looked ready to play yet. Mm-hmm. And they're undisciplined and sloppy. That falls on the head coach. And I know right right now it's still no, nobody wants to knock Kyle yet. He deserves criticism for the way that they have played in terms of their overall penalties and the sloppiness. Do I think Kyle's a good offensive head coach? Yeah, I, I think he's a terrific offensive head coach. I think the Niners are always going to have a good offense with him. But as a whole team, as the CEO of the team, he's got a lot of work to do. If you disagree with me, I, I, I want to hear why. How, how can you legitimately say that he's done a good job as an overall head coach the first three games? How can I? I mean, am I, do you agree with me or disagree with me? Yeah, I mean, when you, like the record says you are what you are, right? And his situational game management has been poor at times. And last week we talked about it at the end of the half and at the end of the game where he didn't know really know the situation and he should have he should have done something different run the ball both times he kind of he kind of suffers from that like the the super bowl all of us all of us remember at the end of that game when they when Matt Ryan took a sack instead of instead of either throwing the ball away or running the ball it just it it just kind of has carried over with him here and I love Kyle Shanahan. Like I love the fact that the 49ers got him. I thought that he was the best coaching hire of that year. I think he's the best offensive mind in the NFL. I think he's better than Sean McVay in terms of an offensive mind. But the thing is, is that when you are calling plays and having to to coach a team, it's hard. 
maybe they, they bring in a secondary play caller. Maybe they have somebody just to screen plays for him and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Maybe they, they don't necessarily have him having all of that on their, on his shoulders. Like Andy Reed is probably one of the only coaches that can do that and do it successfully for a long period of time. Andy Reed calls his own plays. And there was a time there where they considered taking the play calling duties away from him. And Mike Holmgren was another one that was really good at calling his own plays. But the thing is, is that these coaches are few and far between that can do that. And Kyle has like, he's a young guy and he's just getting his first head coaching job. And he's really trying to learn the ropes of not only calling an offense, but also managing the game on defense and special teams. It's like not, you're not, you're no longer just in charge of the offense. The entire team is your baby. That's it. So do I think he's done a, done a great job? I don't think he's done a great job. Do I think he's done a terrible job? Absolutely not. I think, I think he's been okay. I think given the circumstances, given what he's had to deal with and, and the, the talent on the roster and all the things we talked about previously, he's doing the best that he can. Can they be better? Obviously. I think that the penalties are a glaring weakness that they can fix. They're undisciplined, but I think that also falls on the philosophy that the defense holds of all gas, no breaks. You have to be disciplined. You can't just be going 100 miles an hour at the same time. And I'm repeating myself, but this, what was so great about the Vic Fangio defenses that the 49ers had, they're fundamentally sound. They could tackle, they would hit you, they would not draw penalties. They were, well, except for Whitner when they started targeting him, right? But you, know, you get what I mean, right? Like they were very, very, defensively savvy and fundamentally sound and the team is not there yet. Now with regard to the officials, I want to, I want to get to that now real quick. I, you wonder why people are stopping like not watching football anymore. Al, this is one of the reasons nobody knows what a catch is. Nobody knows what a fumble is. Nobody knows where you can hit the quarterback. Every time you get a big play, you're, you're holding your breath because you're waiting for a flag. It takes the excitement out of the game. And don't you think that it's funny because you never see these things happen in the Super Bowl, Al. Don't you think the NFL sits down with the, the officials before the game and, and says, hey, I don't want you guys to be a problem tonight. So barring some ridiculous penalty, like a guy's trying to rip somebody's helmet off, you're not throwing any flags. Why can't they be like that during the season? Why can't they be like that every game? Why do you have to change the rules when it gets to the playoffs? That's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. Officiate every single game the same way. The officiating in this game was piss poor. Absolute dog crap. And the 49ers did not deserve to win this game, I agree, but the officiating was awful. They gave the Chiefs a, a missed field goal. The last points that the Chiefs scored, he missed that field goal. Look oh, at yeah, the replay. Yeah. yeah, he missed it. I, when he, when I, he I don't know how that... Yeah. How Maybe I put let, that out of my head. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you let that go through? Like I'm a, like I don't bad. get heated right now. But and and this just so frustrating to me because like how do you let that slide? And obviously Kyle Shanahan, you can't really challenge that because the camera angles and stuff. But it's if you if you slow it down and put it into slow motion, he missed the field goal and they gave it to him. So things like that, the use check play. There was a horse collar on Witherspoon where it was on. I believe it was on the sideline and it was uh, Sammy Watkins. I believe that caught the ball near uh, the goal line. He was like in the red zone. And when this one dragged him down by his arm and he had, he had him by his, by I believe his left arm mm-hmm. um, and they called a horse collar on him. And his, his, his hand was nowhere even near the nameplate of the, of that chief's player. His hand was down his arm, like the, the chief's player's arm. And they called that a horse collar. I mean that to me, like, and then the, uh, the Quan Williams play uncatchable ball. And obviously the use check play, like all of these things are part and parcel of, of, you know, trying to, to become a, a contending team. Like 
the, the Patriots don't have that call against them. The Eagles don't have that call against them. The, the Vikings don't. There's certain teams. We know that certain teams that they won't throw flags against. You have to get yourself up to that level. So really the, this league and the officiating is it's, it's ruining the game. I don't know what Clay Matthews is supposed to do. Like I'm not, a, I'm not a Packers fan. I don't particularly like Clay Matthews, especially for the way that he played against the, the Niners when Kaepernick was here. But when he sacked Alex Smith and got the last penalty that, that we see, he put his head to the side of Alex Smith. Like he was literally like, like tackling him, like you're taught to tackle. Now, I don't know if you played football in high school. Like I played four years in high school, which isn't, a, it's not a huge deal. Like whatever, everybody, everybody plays high school football, but when they taught us to tackle, they would teach you to wrap up, wrap the dummy and put your head on one side of the dummy and basically ride that dummy to the ground, right? Land on the dummy. That's why they have pads on them. Like for those of you who never, obviously everybody knows what a tackling dummy is, but for those of you who don't, they have padding on them. Why? Because you land on them. So now all of a sudden you're not supposed to land on a quarterback after you sack him. The, the Dolphins defensive end, Hayes, he tore his ACL because he didn't want to land on, on Derek Carr. Like you're, you're changing the outcome of so many team seasons because of a rule that's stupid. And I think that they're going to revisit it and I hope they do. But Al, the NFL officiating, it just has to get better. It has to. Yeah, it's definitely not. I think it's definitely going to turn off some fans if it doesn't. It's it's been pretty ugly. Zane, that was it. You reacted really well to my rant, dude. I was all over the place and you like hit on every point. That was really <laughs> good. I, I, I went from like Tom Brady to Aaron Rodgers to like Kyle Shanahan to the refs to Kyle Juszczyk. I was all over the place. You hit on every single thing, man. You are like, this is not your first rodeo. <laughs> that was, that was is, impressive. Uh, there's so much chaos around us, right? That we just like, we're laser focused right now because you know, the whole thing where there's all like the chaos around you and you become more focused because of it. I think yeah. <laughs> and I you know what? Zane and, Zane and I are going to go on these ridiculous rants sometimes. And that's kind of how we want the show to be is like, we always say we just want it to be like, there's a couple guys talking in a bar and, and sometimes we're just going to rant and just talk about 50 different things. It's how we're going to do it sometimes. So, mm-hmm. but Zane's an old pro. He reacted to it. Well, <laughs> all right. So, my game ball. Who do I even want to give a game ball to in this game? Give it to Jimmy's ACL, please. <laughs> no, you know what? Like, <laughs> who do I really want to give this game ball to? I don't. I guess I will give it to Garoppolo, just because I really, I really felt like he started to click there at the end. He he mm-hmm. did kind of start to look like the Jimmy from last year. And you know, you think about what could have been, and and it's just not going to end up that way. But we'll give it to him, and and. He, he looked like he was leading a comeback there, but didn't happen. So Jimmy will get my game ball. I really love the fact that he was playing his guts out. I hate the fact that he got injured, but again, if he completes that comeback, Al, that's the story of the year. Like nobody is could, nobody's going to win a bigger game than that. I highly doubt given the circumstances going into Kansas city, completing a comeback and, and granted he, they almost pulled it off. So yeah. That would have been that would have been the play that everybody looks to, like, hey, he could have stepped out of bounds and he ran over a Chiefs defender, right? Like that would have been the play, the defining moment of the of the game, and maybe maybe one of the defining moments of the season, right? In a good way, and unfortunately, it, it ended up not working out. And um, one more thing about about Jimmy's value, I hear a lot of these national TV guys saying, oh, well, he wasn't worth the contract, and he had a limited sample size last year, which is why he did so well. So they're saying that last year was a limited sample size of five games, but somehow this year after three games and even more limited sample size, they're going to write them off. So to all the Niner fans out there, don't listen to the noise. Don't listen to all that crap. Like that's, that's a bunch of stuff that the national media is spewing that, and that they frankly really don't know what they're talking about. So I think his value is immense to this team. He's going to be a, a great coach for CJ. I think that CJ will have 
will have some growing pains, but he'll be better than he was last year. He will. I think that he does because he doesn't make the throw that he made last year. Uh, he doesn't make the throw against the Chiefs that he made. He doesn't make that last year. So, CJ's going to be okay. It's going to. It's not going to be the season that we thought of, but we're going to find out what we have in him. And there are going to be a lot of players who step up that we didn't expect to step up. And one of those guys is Matt Breida, and he's going to get my game ball. Matt Breida, through three games, has been the best 49ers player, period. There has been no other player that has had more impact than Matt Breida. He's been, he, as you said, he leads the league in rushing. He's averaging over eight yards of carry. He's been amazing these past three weeks, and I hope he can continue that. Really, really good story. He was, for those of you who don't know, you should definitely read up on the story, but to summarize, he was an adopted child to two permanently handicapped parents. Like the the story is an ultimate underdog story. Went to went to the the small school with Jared McKinnon, and he comes out and as an undrafted free agent. Nobody nobody even gave a look at look at him, and now he's starring on the Forty ers It's just the the best story, and I, I love watching him play. He's really fast, and I think that he's going to have hopefully if he can get it if we can get a thousand yard season out of Matt Breida. I think that the 49ers have found their running back of the future. I don't even think it's Jared McKinnon then. I think it's Matt Breida. Honestly, I think he's that good. Do you know what the lesson is in that to me? And you don't pay running backs. You don't draft running backs really high because Breida mm-hmm. got him off the street, right? Yeah. Yeah. Find a running back to fit your system. And I'm not, not so we don't know what McKinnon would have been. I'm not knocking him. He hasn't stepped on the field. Maybe McKinnon has 400 yards right now. I don't know. But mm-hmm. to me, that's why you don't pay running backs because you find a guy like Breida who fits your system. You get a vet. Again, who was off the street in Morris, and all of a sudden he got a pretty good tandem. Mm-hmm. So another guy I do want to say maybe an honorary game ball is George Kittle, who continues just to play extremely well. And I know he's had some issues with drops, but he's on pace for about 64, 65 catches and over 1,000 yards right now. And he's been by far, by far the biggest threat in the 49ers passing game. He's got 12 catches for 191 yards through three games. Mm-hmm. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet. Sure, he'll get one soon. But he's been by far the best weapon for this team. So good to see with him. And there are some, like we said, people to watch. Brita, Kittle. These are guys that are going to be around and be a big part of this offense. Let's see what Pettis can do. Let's see if Goodwin can bounce back after being injured and and start to look like the way he did towards the end of last season. And let's see if this offensive line can keep it up. Still some good things to look into as we head into the Chargers game. I don't know how much of a game this is going to be. This almost feels like... The first, the first half of the Chiefs game felt like a Mike Nolan era game to me. Yeah. And I almost feel like going into the Chargers, it kind of feels the same way. They could get down big early, and then it could be a situation where they're, where, where they're trying to catch up. I do feel like they're going to play better at home the following week, but this game, to me, scares me a little bit. I, I think the Chargers are going to win this game big. I think so, too. Because I just really think that it's not enough time to really develop a game plan for CJ. They're really just kind of going in emergency mode and seeing like, okay, well, what can we run that CJ does well? And how can we make it easier on him? And I think that now what you're going to see is that they're going to focus on the growth of the, of the team more. And you talked about earlier in the beginning of the show how they're not going to trade for quarterbacks and they most likely won't sign like a win now quarterback because they're not ready to win now. They're frankly, they're still rebuilding. We know this. And I think that they want to focus on the growth and development of the players that they already do have and identify their holes and fill those holes in the subsequent off seasons that they have. And um, I'm just going to address this once and I'm not going to address it again before you're making my game pick. The 49ers are not trading for or signing Colin Kaepernick. They're not like Colin Kaepernick is a full-time philanthropist. He's getting paid just as much as an athlete gets paid from Nike. He's immensely popular 
uh, with a lot of people. He's getting a lot of money not playing football. Why would he subject his body and his brain to weekly beatings in football for a team that's that's that may or may not be very good? He's not going to do that. And on top of that, why would the NFL or any of the NFL's owners sign a guy who has an active lawsuit going against the NFL? Nobody is signing him. We just need to let go of that idea. Colin Kaepernick is not going to get signed by the 49ers. I can't tell you how many people on Twitter message me about that. And, and I granted, it's not coming from a bad place. It's, it wouldn't have been a bad idea given the circumstances that he had. If he had different circumstances, it probably would have been back. But it's, it's not happening. So let's just let go of that idea completely. And we're just not going to revisit it this entire season. Now, the Chargers game is one of those games that with Jimmy, I thought they would have had a chance and I thought that they would split the Charger and, and Chiefs games because the, the Chargers play in that small soccer stadium in, in Los Angeles and a lot of Niners fans are going to be there. It's probably going to be maybe half and half. That's what they're saying. So it's almost like one of those away home games. But now with, with what happened to Jimmy, like I said, like they were kind of retooling and they're trying to find what CJ is comfortable with and they're trying to focus on the growth of their players now they're probably not going to be very competitive in this game. I think that the the Chargers realize that and they'll probably put the foot on the gas and this will probably be one of those games that's that's like 34 to 10 or 34 17 or something like that. So I'm going to go Chargers Chargers win this game uh 34 17. Yeah, it's not even about Bathard to me as much as it is. I I just see Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Melvin Gordon and Eckler and all the weapons the Chargers have, I just think they're just going to hang up. Like, yeah, like I said, the thirty-five points on the Niners. I don't, I don't think the secondary can keep up with what the Chargers have, and that'll be the issue. Even if Bathard has a couple scoring drives early, say you know he gets ten points or whatever, it, it, it could be twenty-four to ten type of thing. Mm. I just don't see how the Niners can slow down the Chargers. I hope I'm wrong. Don't see that they how they can. So, but I do want to tell the fans. You can actually catch all the away game action at the official San Francisco 49ers watch party at Bourbon Pub at Levi's Stadium. The watch party is this Sunday, September 30th. Doors open at 11.30 a.m. and everyone in attendance will receive free entry, a 49ers giveaway item, and a raffle ticket to win 49ers prizes. They have 70-plus TVs, an exclusive away game menu, and prize giveaway every quarter. That includes VIP packages and game tickets and memorabilia. And I know that this weekend they are giving away two tickets to the Cardinals 49ers game on October 7th and also a Matt Breida autographed mini helmet. So definitely something to check out if you guys need a place to watch the game this weekend. Head out to the Berman Pub at Levi Stadium to do that. It's a really good atmosphere. I've actually been to the Berman Pub. And uh, when it's non-home game day over there, there's still a raucous 49ers fans there. Like it's really cool because you're literally like right next to the training facility over there. For those of you who haven't been to Levi's, you're, you're right next to the training facility and that's where the players park and that's where they stay and all this stuff. And it's really cool because you're in the stadium and you're next to a lot of 49ers fans and the food is really good there as well. And it's just a really cool experience to go down to the stadium on, on a, a non-home game. And it's like kind of like your private environment in the stadium. So anybody who lives in the Bay, all, all you Niners fans that live in the Bay, I encourage you guys to go out, support the team, get to Levi's on non-game days, and, and get to Bourbon Pub. You might even run into Zane. You can tell him how much he sucks yep. in person. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. There. You can tell me how <laughs> you, can, you can walk me off of the cliff in person, right? You can tell me. There you go. Yeah, you can tell me to stop complaining because no doubt, Al, we're going to get people that tell us to stop complaining. Honestly, it's not so much complaining as it is like the pain. Like we feel the same pain that you guys do. Honestly speaking, like my heart was broken. I have not feel felt that way since Jerry Rice tore his ACL 
back in 97. That was, that was a really rough day too. That was a year that Steve Young and Rice got lost for a little bit in that, in that game. But yeah, it was tough. Yeah. It's, it's just trying to be honest, just yeah, trying was, to be honest. We're not trying to read off a script here. We're not, we don't have a list of things that we're going to go over and, and hit on this point and hit on that. We're, we're, we're trying to be honest, man. We're trying to talk from the heart. We're trying to talk as not only people that cover this team, but also as fans. So we're not going to hold anything back. It's not what we do. If we complain, that's the way we're feeling that day. If we're positive, great. Then that's what we did. That's, that's kind of how we do it. That's kind of the show. So that's all I can say. Patience. That's all we're going to need this season, right? 13 weeks of growth and growing pains and, it may or may not be similar to last year. I tend to think that they'll be better than they were last year because they have a little bit more talent and CJ has had more time. So I'm still excited about 49ers football. I'm still excited about being a Niners fan, still excited about covering the team. This is an ex- a, a chance for us to see some of these young guys grow. And and the future is now, right? These will be some of the guys that will be making Pro Bowls and and you could say that you're in on the ground floor. So Niners fans... Hunker down is going to be, it will be a rough ride, but you know what? There is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel and that light is number 10. He's going to come back next year stronger than ever. Yep. And until then, Team CJ, baby, let's do this. <laughs> let's, for, do it, CJ. let's do it. For Zane, this is Al. We'll see you.